What up, it's Leno the Wave God, and welcome to episode three of the Do-Rags and Stethoscopes podcast. On this week's episode, we're talking about late hits. We're shedding some light on military suicide awareness. We're also talking about the PACT Act and what that means for our veterans, as well as mental health in general. The Do-Rags and Stethoscopes podcast is now available for streaming on all platforms, so be sure to check us out. Be sure to follow us on Instagram for any additional news, updates, and information. And as always, thanks for listening. My vision is the bag in my white coat. Leno got his do rag and lit, got his stethoscopes. Welcome to do rags and stethoscopes. Welcome to do rags and stethoscopes. Wave tsunami when they crash, current strong, it's a rip If you not feeling well, I might just have to write a script Welcome to Do Rags and Stethoscope Welcome to Do Rags and Stethoscope People are gonna think that that's business as usual What is up, people? Welcome in once again to Do Rags and Stethoscopes As always, I'm the Lit MD, chilling here with Leno the Wave God What up, what up? Yep. Now you know holding us down, we got our production team. We have Brick and Shock. Say what up to the people. What's good? All right, I apologize. Shock is frozen right now in what we would consider his shocked face. Uh, but we're gonna get through that, all right? So we are gonna get right into it. We're gonna talk about a couple things that we have on our minds. We're gonna make sure that we air it out to y'all and let y'all know how we're feeling, okay? So we are getting deeper into football season. I mean, hard knocks is out. You know, we got preseason games all over the place, college football preview, everything that you could imagine. But there was something that happened in the game, and I'm going to let Leno kind of take it away and give you all a brief explanation of what occurred. But it was a late hit that we consider a dirty play. Um, But I wanted to get to talking about late hits, you know, hitting drills in general and just the violence of, you know, a collision sport. But set set the stage for us, Leno. What happened? So early in the uh, Eagles... Who are they playing? Eagles-Jets preseason game, first preseason game of the year. You got Jalen Hurts starting quarterback, rolls out to his right, headed out of bounds. Now, mind you, in this new NFL, you're towing the line when you see a guy headed for out of bounds and you try to come in and hit him anyways. It's, you know, you're on the fence as far as trying to make a hit on that type of guy anyways. But bottom line, Hurts is going out of bounds. He's a good two steps out of bounds. And some linebacker who, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he probably won't be on the roster come opening week, cleans his clock. I mean, takes his head off completely on the sideline. 15-yard late hit, you know what I mean? Just uncalled for, you know what I mean? If if there was any reason to fight on the football field, and I hate fighting on the football field because you play football. You can literally beat on each other for an hour and get away with it, you know what I mean? But if there was ever a reason to fight on the football field, it was for that hit right there, man. What how you how you what, what how you feel about late? I mean, we all play ball in here. What how y'all feel about guys hitting hitting late? You know, you getting out of bounds, getting down, trying to quarterbacks trying to slide and hitting you late. How do y'all feel about that? Um, so what I take from that, bro, is that there is such a thin line, right? There's a difference between making a play and trying to just straight up hurt somebody. But I feel like when you're the opposing side, it's also hard to recognize that, right? Like a hit is a hit is a hit. At the end of the day, you're going to feel it. But if you know that you are legally out of bounds and the play is over and you get rocked, you mad. Now, there's a difference between, like, say, the, the DB or the defender dove before you stepped out. 
Or if not, he saw you step out, he saw you tow that white line, and then he came and tried to rock you. That I'm not a fan of. But I think there needs to be, you know, policing of the game, and I do feel like the game is softer nowadays. I'm going to just say it, even from when we played, and all of us played football. But late hits are dangerous, man, at the end of the day. But you sound like a defensive player right now, bro, which yeah. I, I don't want to hear you. I was going to say, Leno, <laughs> Leno, you're literally, it's the two production people are offense. You're offense. He's the only defensive player. <laughs> Anything close to the sideline is a late hit to me. Don't touch me. Like, if I'm in between the hashes, I'm lowering the shoulder. I mean, shot you throw his head out there, and boom. But, like. Y'all about to make me mad. Why? Because you're. Go ahead. Go, go, please. Be- please. <laughs> y'all be the. Bruh. First off, offensive players are prima donnas, and everybody knows that. But Stop. that's not even the point of this. Oh, come on now. Receivers, especially. Literally, queens. The point is, no, the point I'm making is y'all get, like, if somebody breathes on you wrong, oh, throw the flag, throw the flag, throw the flag. Matter of fact, Leno, you remember when we used to play one-on-ones in practice? You mean when you used to. We used to. mm. You mean when you used to to cause a penalty every time you went up against me and I was asking (laughs) for a flag? I never saw a flag. What you mean? You was asking for a flag every time you were touched. It's called bump and run. You just can't handle the bump. Respectfully, respectfully, we did play D3 now. We don't have refs at every practice like Alabama, but regardless. It was D2 and a half. Passing interference is passive interference at any level, bro. And you won't. Bruh, y'all think everything is. All right, let's not get away from the topic. Did you see the the hit? Because I feel like you're getting sidetracked. If you saw the hit, if you, you a defensive player, do take. I think y'all taking the wrong point. I'm agreeing with that. What I'm saying is if you've left your feet to make a play and the defender has not stepped out of bounds yet, I'm saying that is completely different than if you are already established out of bounds. I don't agree with late hits, right? I don't agree with people, especially going too hard. Say if it's like, all right, if, especially if it's something that don't matter, you in the middle of the field and it's like second and eight and they get like a little three-yard scamper and go out, it's not going to change anything for me to dive at you. But like, okay, you about to cross the, the goal line. I'm trying I'm going to try and do everything that I can. The point that I'm making is I agree with y'all, though. What you got, Shock? Shock sound like Shock been waiting to say yeah, something. Yeah, what you like got? He got his mind on something for real. That all, that's all bullshit, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's fucked up. It's like with Cam Newton, man. When Cam Newton used to play, motherfuckers used to hit him late all the fucking time, man. You think that's all right? No, I, bro, y'all are taking this the wrong way. I'm I'm agreeing with y'all. I don't agree with late hits. What I am saying is that it is the defender needs to be smarter completely. The defender needs to think before they make that dive. Now, once again, if it's the pylon, that's that people, that's their livelihood, right? That, get, that dude is trying to make a roster spot. He went too hard. I agree. But I agree with y'all that, no, late hits need to be taken out of the game. Play, and that's why the rules have changed to prevent that, hopefully. But no, I don't agree with late hits at all. Oh, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, pylon's a different situation, though, right? Pylon, yeah, pylon's a completely different yeah. situation. You catch but, me going out of bounds at the 40-yard line, and you hit me across the chest like Jalen Hurts guy hit. I, I was telling people the other day, if they was on the opposite sideline, if that hit happened on the Philly sideline instead of the New York sideline, they'd have still been fighting. They would have had to call a game. They would have had to call a game. We are fighting. We, we fighting after that. Cause you, can, you ain't hitting my quarterback two yards out of bounds like that and think you're just going to get up and go back to your huddle after that. That's not going on. It's out. war. 
All right. Like right. you, you remember when Mason Rudolph got rocked, right? They were fighting for him. He was. Yeah, they was. Pretty. They were fighting for him. All right, but you got to think about it. There's this time now. I mean, I guess it's coming with the new generation where these guys will get to the sidelines and they decide to cut up. When we played, that wasn't a thing. Just like yeah, that like Kenny Pickett, Kenny fake slide, fake slide. If that's you would have got I'll tell, you, I'll tell you for a fact that's not true because I've been sneaking the I've been sneaking the sideline cut up. What, for years. But for what a yard. But they're doing it to break break away now. Well, and they, if I stay in bounds, I'm liable to get hit. Don't don't get hit. <laughs> and that is my exact point about offensive players. Y'all will fake go out of bounds and turn and rock us, but then get mad when we try to lay the wood on the sideline. I'm not mad that he tried to lay the wood on the sideline. I'm mad that my man was a good two steps out of bounds and dude still got crucified like Oklahoma drill style. Low man wins clean through the chest. <laughs> like he had like he had beef with like you you ever seen a pulling guard when he catch that defensive end lacking? When he catch that outside linebacker lacking on the blitz? You ever seen when they run that um what is it, the slip I think it's the slip screen where the tackle pulls and he's supposed to get the corner? Yeah. The only times I've ever seen Jesus <laughs> is when I'm on the field and I see that wall of a of a tackle coming in and then they got rid of the it's terrible but they got rid of the cut where like you can't just blow their knees out that what am i supposed to do it's if i'm the defender it was one of them angle sideline hits that you it's guaranteed your pads are gonna clap in the crowd you're gonna get a reaction out of the crowd you're gonna get a ooh out of the crowd i agree i agree but what about when the crowd's not there y'all because i want to talk about these hitting drills right we see these videos of oklahoma's that come out we talked about people Tiptoe on the line. Oklahoma drill is just one of them, but you got like run fits, all these type of things. Do y'all think, you know, some of y'all got kids. Do y'all think that that needs to be done? That needs to be established? Is it something that has to happen throughout the season, briefly in preseason? Not at all. What you think? Yeah, I mean, too much of anything is a bad thing. I don't think there should be no Oklahoma drill at all. I will, when I was in, Little League and even in high, I'm not going to say, we play, We hit a little bit more in high school because we had a little bit, I think we had a little bit longer in between games, or at least the practice time was a little bit more valuable at high school as opposed to Little League. But we would hit maybe once or twice out the week or twice out the week. When we were at, um, when we at Sydney, we only hit really full pads twice a week. You know what yeah. I mean? And even then, most of the time, we were just in full pass for the conditioning sake, more so than beating mm-hmm. up on each other. It's there a little bit of Oklahoma, especially early in the in the season, you know, your fall, your early camps, your summer camps and stuff like that, I think is good, especially to get a little contact, to get rid of whatever little bit of anxiety you're feeling about getting hit. Because, you know, depending on what type of player you are, you need to get you need to feel that contact one time to get settled in to playing whatever it be, get you ready for the season, you know, get you ready for this next level, especially if you're younger coming in. You know, so some Oklahoma is good. You know, you don't need Oklahoma drills for five year olds. Five year olds don't need to be running around with helmets, you know what I mean? But after a certain age, you know, contact football is contact football. There's gonna be a there's gonna be a risk involved. Uh, you're talking about bringing kids, you know, having kids and with that thought process. My kid, I don't want my kid to play football if he wants to play football. You know what I mean? And contact football is this is a part of it. So what's the age? Like what age would you say is appropriate? I would say 
I say you got you at least double digits. At I least agree. at least ten. Maybe maybe ten, somewhere between ten to twelve. I think before high school you wanna you should know before high school whether you wanna feel that contact or whether you're gonna shy away from that contact or that's something you're gonna be interested in. But I don't see, you know, I don't see a purpose of a six-year-old, seven-year-old running around with a helmet on because he's nothing but a battering ram. He's not going. He's he's tackling. He's unless you really sit down and take the time, and even if you do sit down and take the time, I feel like there's more of a risk with a little kid not being able to control his bodily function coming in and make a tackle as opposed to you know a ten or twelve bodily function. I just thought about he's saying like he gonna shit on himself when he comes. <laughs> I mean, oh, I shoot. mean, smack that hair right one time. You know how little kids are. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think I completely agree. Like I said, and I can't put an age on it to say like 10, 11, 12. What I needed to do is though, whatever the ages where they can follow directions and stick to following directions. Because to go off of Leno's point, if I tell you to keep your head up, you have to keep your head up because paralysis don't go away. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like fingers and all that stuff. Cause that's that's scary. You imagine your kid on the field just laying out there lifeless, and it's like it's all because of a mistake that, yeah, the child made the mistake, but you put them in that setting. And I mm-hmm. see that that's a lot of fear amongst parents nowadays, right? Like we got a little cousin where my my aunt's been back and forth about letting them play, and that's that's her decision how she wants to raise her child, of course. But what I will say is that. If if the coach is right, then let him play. But think, imagine if the coach had him doing Oklahoma's daily. Would you let your kid play for that team? Hell no. No. That's too much. I ain't gonna say it's too much contact. It is football. It is. But it doesn't. It's too much contact. There's no need to be beating on it. You know, it's. I have a hard enough time as it is getting through practice and beating on my teammates. They got the same color uniforms as me. Especially after after you know summer practices and summer camp and stuff like that, you get to a certain point, you know, middle of the season, you get tired of getting through practice and having to beat on the same people in the same colors that you know a couple days out the week. Especially when Doctor Lockdown guarding your ass. It's just a different. It's just a different switch that you got to hit. You know what I mean? That you finally free after a week long of lockdown, solitary confinement. You know what I'm saying, Doctor? You released. It just gave you grace enough, you know what I'm saying, a weekend privilege to go out on Saturdays and perform. But Monday through Thursday, you on lock. Yeah, I mean, it was a grind, but Brick, what you think? Honestly, in the beginning of the season, I feel like it's like training of any sort. Like, as your younger kid, because Lit, you over here saying, oh, wait till they're older. But I literally remember I was 10 years old and you were six. You ran to the wrong end zone. Turned around, stiffed on the whole team again, and then scored the touchdown. So, like, granted, two things for that. First off, it was the 90s. Rules were completely different. <laughs> Second off, something I think about as an adult, because this is something that happened, I do not brag about that story. Because most people say, what type of league were you in? You mean to tell me you ran all the way the wrong way and all the way the right way? You know, my family's like, oh, he's going to be a beast. If I was a, a parent of one of them other kids, I'm like, my son sucks. <laughs> he let this little boy run all the way, 80 yards that way, turn around, and I cried. I can't front with y'all. I cried when I ran back. I scored a touchdown crying. But that crying. that's the thing. is, Wait, like, wait, 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 wait. I was wait, six. Did you have to do up-downs after that? 
No, he scored. No, I scored, but <laughs> I, was I was literally crying. crying. He was crying because he scored. Yeah, he was I was crying because I was running back. <laughs> He's for sure a defensive player. A receiver wants to talk about crying. I don't understand. I don't understand. A receiver wants to talk about crying. Yeah, when it comes to scoring and when it comes to offense, why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you want to score a touchdown, man? What is? Let me. Well, at six years, six years old, he didn't want nothing to do with touchdowns. I was ran to the wrong end zone. That's why I started crying. I was like, oh, I missed it. Then he went 100 yards the other way to score. When you six, though, that don't make no difference. You can. Have you ever seen have you ever seen Little League kids after practice, after football practice? Mm -hmm. It just it don't matter. The energy. Have you ever seen the minor injuries that some of them get and cry? That's, that's the point I'm making. Anyways, rub some dirt on it. It, it makes sense though, right? Like you feel like you uh you messed up maybe, so you went the wrong way, and you're like, oh, everyone's like, go that way, go that way. That's right? literally what like, everyone was saying. Yeah, I could. See, I could he's see trying to get mad at me for what I did when I was six. I ain't that's trying to get mad. I mean, I ain't, I ain't it would be me at six, did, but I'm just but saying. Yeah, that's because Shock has looked like he was thirty since he was four. Man, been shaven since the age of seven. Purchasing alcohol since he was ten. But if somebody said you was the same height since you was six when you scored that touchdown, it'd be an issue, wouldn't it? It don't bother me now because I, I'm about to say I'm a physician. I walk in, I could be as short as ever, but I'm still the only person that can help you right now. So what you gonna complain about, Mister? That man said. That man said I say I say four people before I had to come in here today. Don't play with me. I still got the scrubs on too. I'm gonna talk my shit today. Say <laughs> about that. Oh Lord. Anyways, fellas. All right. So then, how about we take it take it another route, right? Because we talk about football all the time, but we got some other collision based sports. Um, say MMA, soccer. boxing, soccer. Yeah. Come on, please explain to us about soccer so I can roll right. my uh, What is? Yeah. Uh, we, we, let's set the stage for y'all. So off air, you know, we put a lot of effort in this podcast, so we wanted to discuss some contact sports, and you know, I said football. Uh, Leno said boxing, Shock brought up MMA, and then Dearest Brick said soccer. <laughs> now, to all the soccer players out there, let me frame this. Y'all don't, y'all, when y'all collide is by accident, unless it's a slide tackle. Like, I respect what y'all do. Y'all run way more than I can. Y'all got better cardio than me. That's great. But all them stats that y'all pull up about how dangerous the sport is, is Simply because way more people in the world play the sport. I don't want to hear it. But, Brick, please defend the soccer players on this podcast and their collision sport. All right. So when we talk about it, we didn't say collision sport at first. We were talking about injuries, CTE, all this other stuff. And then that's why I threw out soccer. And then you said collision sports. So there's a little different. But soccer also has the highest level of concussions from anything but you said because they have the most people i mean i don't know the sport i'm just going off of what espn tells me because i'm a noob when it comes to soccer i don't know much i mean i still think cristiano ronaldo is better than messi just because he wears nike but that's me so yes soccer has a lot of concussions a lot of people headbutt i mean not headbutt but they head the ball so that's just my opinion. Like, not the safest thing because a lot of people don't realize that soccer ball can give you a concussion. 
You got three flat face emojis staring at you right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best you got. I'm just See, telling you from my perspective. Of the how ball I is going to concuss me, so I need to be I need to be weaned off a of soccer. You need to wear a helmet on the soccer field. <laughs> You know how weak you look if you want helmet. Like the goalies with the look at remedial in the, in the, in their in their posts with helmets on. Like why? It's not a goalie of all people. Why are you wearing a helmet, bro? First of all, you can use your hands. Second, you're not heading the ball out of the out of goal. You're not you're not using your head to save the ball. How many how many how many goalies have you seen use their head to make a save? I don't think it's for the save with the header. I think it's when the ball is coming at their head and they don't get out the way enough. Because, you know, them EPL players. That's what God bless you with hands for. With metal plates and a glove. Touche. All right. So we're just going to all take a a veto of Brick's discussion of soccer because I haven't looked up much concussion data in soccer. I'm sure there are more concussions because more people play it. But I'm like, sure there are MMA, too, we don't. Yeah, we take boxing and MMA and football and I was you just know, throwing it out there. Sports where you actually get hit in the head, where that's part of you know, yeah. a major part of the sport. I've so let me soccer my life. I'll, I'll set the field. I'll set the field for y'all with this. All right. So I want y'all to give me your take on the level of violence in these sports, and like, do does there need to be more rule changes? Not necessarily what are the rule changes, but do there need to be more? Right. So the the preface that I want to give y'all is that you've signed up to do whatever it is you're doing. MMA fighters, you know, aren't forced into doing it. They sign up. Maybe even in childhood they were. But as an adult, you said, I want to get in this octagon with that man. Like people that fight Francis Ngannou signed up to do it. Y'all know who he is? Please YouTube Francis Ngannou's greatest knockouts. Or, yes, boxing, right? You know, people chose to step in the ring with Mike Tyson for some reason. Football. We all know we all strapped the cleats up, put the helmet on and chose to do it. But what do y'all think? Y'all think there need to be changes or what? Changes to what? Allowing people to play the sports? Well, you you don't really play those sports, but allowing people to go out in those sports? What kind of rule changes are you talking about? Well, boxing isn't as much my bag, but like, okay, so in MMA, there are some rules, specifically like in UFC, different because, like, you know, bare knuckle boxing and all these like Russian fight leagues are different. But like in MMA, some things that you can't do, like when someone's on the ground, you cannot knee them. Right. Say if someone's in a crouching position standing up and you knee them in the face, you can kill them. You can legitimately kill them. Well, um, I thought that's what the, they want in MMA, though. Exactly. I, if anything, I'd take away some of the rules because as bloody as they get. But that's just me. What y'all think? Y'all think? Tone it down, do more. What so are we talking about from MMA, boxing, and football? Yeah, amongst all the football guys, some rule change. I don't even want to talk about football rule changes, bro. That's just going to make you, me mad. If, so, if you were bitching about football's rule changes, why you want to change basketball, uh, boxing, and MMA rules? I'm, cha- I'm saying change it to make it, you know, give it a little more. All right, question. Less. Which one's the most dangerous out of those three, out in your boxing, opinion? Define danger, like death or when it comes, morbidity or mortality, like concussions, what? I guess I mean, we're talking about concussions, correct? If we're concussion, concussions in general, I would say boxing. Because boxing, unlike MMA, where you have multiple fighting styles, the goal is to hit the person wherever you can above the waist, but they usually aim for the head. 
Right. Yeah, you're trying to knock them out. Think about how many people have won their boxing match and had a concussion. People don't even talk about that because, like, oh, he's victorious and he's dizzy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like in boxing, yeah, they get concussions, sometimes more minor. But football, like, those hits are brutal. And a lot of times you don't see them coming. You're a defensive player. How many times did you hawk somebody down and they didn't even know you were right there and you just destroyed them? I had a few. I had a few. And yeah, I've like been depleted as well. I, yeah, I'm say in boxing and MMA, it's like, yeah, I know. It's one versus one. There's been times where I go out on a sweep or something and I go to cut back and bam, I'm done. Cleats are off. At least you had a helmet on, though. In boxing, yeah. if you don't see that hook or that uppercut coming, you wake you up got no helmet. In a hospital. He's not lying. Like, it's a sport where the winner can get a concussion. And they're like, well, you won. All right, y'all. So, I mean, it, it just sounds like, you know, like we got to do do something. There's nothing nothing that we can do. But that you can really they signed do. up for it. It's nothing yeah. that you really need to do. Like you said, first of all, first and foremost, you signed up for this punishment. So you know you know the risk that comes with this form of entertainment for other people. I don't think that, you know, someone else should be held responsible for your lack of um what's the what's the word I wanna look for? Your lack of self care, you your lack of self preservation. If you feel like you can go out there and protect yourself well, that's how you feel like you want to go out and make some money. Then that's what you that's you talented enough to do it. Then go ahead and do it. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing though. At the at the professional level, like that's literally how they feed their family. So of course you're gonna hit somebody harder. You know what I'm saying? Like the the young man that had that late hit. You tell him to think smart, do this and the third. He's trying to get a roster spot, dog. He is trying to get that league minimum. He's not trying to get a roster. Opposite, <laughs> yeah. He's trying to be, he's trying to get fired immediately. That's <laughs> what He is no Alexander. I ain't no. He is no, not at all. Oh gosh. They probably uh, didn't even let him back on the um on the team playing. They said, man, look, we appreciate your contribution. Go ahead and and drop your playbook. Just leave your playbook in your locker when you when you leave out of here tonight, big dog. <laughs> we ain't got much else for you. We don't got enough to pay for your ticket to get on this flight back to New York, son. So you mm-hmm. just get out from here. I think I agree with y'all. I mean, I definitely agree with y'all. So then I like I was reading up on something about uh, CTE, you know, with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and basically what I was reading is that a lot of the um, a lot of the effects that can be felt pre-mortem, so before the person is dead, can actually affect their mental health. So I definitely wanted to make sure that I, I spoke about that, not just the sports in general. I know we talk about the sports, but we got to talk about mental health. And I feel like there's a lack of mental health awareness in our community. Right. And I wanted to hear from y'all. Though. Why? Why do you think that is? And if you think I'm wrong, also tell me I'm tripping. But why do you think that we as you know, as individuals of color don't put as much onus on that? On what, CTE? Not CTE on mental health in general. Oh, you you trying to get into a deep conversation about black people and how we have looked at mental health for years. 
Not necessarily. I'm trying to get into a conversation with the individuals that are in front of me. And why do you feel like? You well, know what I'm saying think, like. Well, I think. Well, let's go. Me, I may answer your question with a question in relation to black people. So you got Ryan Garcia, uh, notable, notable boxer, who mm-hmm. was getting ready to go into a fight and then backed out of the fight due to mental health reasons. And mm-hmm. I'm not nobody really bad in the eye. The the general population you know, wanted to support this man and get behind this man. Yeah. At least that's the initial reaction. Adrian Broner, who might come up on this podcast a little bit later, does the same exact thing. Matter if he was supposed to fight this weekend and came out and said he's not 100% mentally ready to get into the ring and he's not going to play with his life in that way and put his life in jeopardy, not being 100% ready to get into the boxing ring. And the initial mm-hmm. knee-jerk, knee-jerk reaction for him, Adrian Broner, is, well, he's just a clown doing clown things because he's not ready and not prepared for a fight. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, the same way you offered a question to me, why do black people feel a certain type of way about mental health? Why is it that when black people invoke or when black people bring up mental health and, you know, as, as it affects us, as it affects oneself, it's usually immediately met with some type of disbelief or some type of, um, you know, explanation or some type of disregard. I mean, that's a good question. I think. I think it's in part learned behavior. You know, I, I can't speak for how everybody else was raised, but. I've I've noticed the resiliency amongst our entire culture as black individuals, right? I feel like black people have put up with more than just about almost any other race. Definitely, you know, you look at the elephant in the room, which is slavery, and which some that Brick, I think he had brought it up on the podcast where he talked about, you know, America has spent more time with enslaved Africans than without I think those are the type of things that then speak to our resilience, not just slavery, but the resilience of a slave was then ingrained in us because we were literally the the trickle down effect of survivors. People had to fight for their lives day in and day out. So it was almost as if and this is my personal opinion. I felt like it was we didn't have time for mental health issues. Right. Like if you're trying to get through, let's let's go beyond slavery right after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed and then beyond Juneteenth and those type of things. When there was freedom, we still weren't free as black people. You didn't have time to be depressed because you had to catch, you know, the bus at 530 in the morning, making sure that you sit in the back of that bus. Take your transfer that moves, you know, at like, say, 548. And then from 548, you get to the next one. You got to make sure you're at work on time because you as the black individual, if you're not at work on time, they will fire you in a moment's notice. And that's just a microcosm of it. But I truly think that it came down to the level of resilience that we grew up having to have and then seeing that from our parents then trickled down to us. That would be the first part. Also, I think it's just a lack of access to these services. I mean, you know, what I'm saying you go to different parts of the country and you can see uh, self-help, mental health, um, things that are brought up, talked about, discussed, hotlines, people that are available. But then you go to the hood and you see a liquor store on one corner and you see a churches on the other. So. I think it's a we were trained and ingrained to get over it, number one. But I think it's also like 
we weren't provided the resources to get through it. And I'm sure people will listen to this and be like, you know, oh, they're playing the victim. But to be honest with you, I don't care if anybody calls me a victim because I know that the, the men I'm looking at on this podcast, none of us played a victim. You know, we took our situation, took our licks and moved through it. But when it comes to mental health and taking a moment to think about ourselves, we have to make sure that we do that as a group, as a culture and as a people. So that would be my answer. Does that does that answer your question? Not even sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it answers my question. I think just to build off of what you're saying, I, it's the way I look at it, our culture, our community was given religion and narcotics as a form of trying to cope with or trying to make sense of mental mm. health, while other cultures in particular okay. took advantage of the full spectrum of opportunities and things that and, and tools that we now are trying to get more freely and more openly we especially in our go off trying to you know that we're trying to have access to i feel like you know again black people there's a, it was really in my mind only two ways you just and it it really clicked to me when you said in the hood oh you got uh liquor stores and churches you know what I mean? It's you got a church, you got a million different churches of the first Nazarene, first Baptist, whatever, whatever. And I'm not knocking that because I'm a religious man myself. But what I am saying is, outside of those two realms, I mean, talk about our culture outside of those two realms, what real, what reality or what really do you have from that standpoint to combat mental health? What promoted or otherwise? What, where do you see, where have you seen our people go to, to look, to try to cope with that mental health mechanism, alcohol or some type of drug, some type of, um, you know, whether it be, you want sports, go, you want do we go, do it with sports? I mean, I'm, I'm saying we take it out on the field too. We do it all, bro. I would see too. You can make the argument, but I think in a grant, in the grand scheme of things, sports, is not the same as we talk about, you know, is particularly with drugs, uh, as far as the coping mechanisms that have like a negative impact on our bodies. I've, I've seen, I've seen the church, I've seen the church turn more people devilish, and then I've seen drugs, you know, just turn, you know, you're you're one person this way, and then drugs, you 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 succumb to what is drugs, and you go a whole, you, you fall into a whole nother, you fall into a whole nother realm as far as your life and the outcome of that life. It's, 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 you, we're, we're animals and we're, you're one thing when people of our culture, especially when it comes to drugs, when we fall into drugs, but you see in other cultures, especially the opioid endemic, it's amazing to see how that's a, how that's a pandemic, how that is a, how that's become a crisis, how that's, you know, how that is, how that's more of an issue that you know misusing prescription drugs than mis than the misuse of any drug in general. I mean, I, in my in my opinion, drugs are drugs, and the misuse or the abuse of any drug is going to have a negative impact on you. One should one shouldn't be looked at upon as oh these people have a problem, and the other looked at as these people are the problem. You know what I mean? If the, if they're yeah. suffering from the same affliction. So I agree with you to an extent. I will say, obviously, because I got to deal with it firsthand. You know, obviously, the DEA is always watching us in terms of everything that we prescribe. What I will say is one of the big issues with the opioid crisis is that while 
things like, you know, crack cocaine, which was or was provided to the American people, black individuals by the government. And, you know, I'll sit here and argue with anybody that says it wasn't. That was done under the table. Opioids. I mean, there were commercials for this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like they did everything they could to promote it. I don't know if y'all recall this or if y'all are aware of this, but heroin used to be a prescription drug. Did y'all know that? Yeah. Yeah. Heroin was supposed to be the heroin drug. That's how it got its name. So heroin in itself was promoted to the people. Then they pulled it off the market. You know, hospitals still actually carry cocaine because cocaine serves an anesthetic property just like lidocaine does. So you can use it for numbing. Usually it's more dentists that have it. You know what I'm saying? But so not to get on a tangent, I agree with you. You can't when someone is at a state of addiction, you can't change up the way that you judge them. You know, everybody needs help. But at the same time, the reason why the opioid crisis hits so hard is one it's easy to pick the scapegoat. People blame their doctors all the time. You know, it's easy to blame blame you know, my profession, number one. But number two, I think a lot of especially like the federal government is like, oh, we made a big mistake with this. You know what I'm saying? They're saying like we were promoting this to everybody. They won't promoting crack, even though they was giving us crack in our communities. You know what I'm saying? They weren't promoting meth, even though Breaking Bad was a great show. It was. Yeah, it was. They need to come out with another. But uh, read, <laughs> that's the opioids. Better Call Saul, see the prequel, season six just ended, and that was the final episode. I'm waiting till that don't drop on Netflix before I sit and binge. Yep. They want to sponsor us. We'll talk even more about it. But they, otherwise, yes. Vince is from Vince is from round away too. Vince is from this. He's from Petersburg, but whenever yeah. you want to come on the show, Mister Gillum, you were you're more than welcome. I about to say we are looking for guests. Um, so so on that with the mental health tip, I wanted to make sure I take a moment to recognize this. Uh, we do have a soldier on the podcast. Um, you know, soon to be veteran, and uh, we talk about suicide awareness. Amongst anybody, but especially amongst veterans. Before I get into, you know, what I'm gonna say, I'm gonna let Brick take the floor and speak on it, say what he wants to about the mental health of veterans and our military. Go ahead, bro. All right. So, from a military standpoint, when it comes to just healthcare in general, it's not the best. It's absolutely terrible. When it comes to a mental like healthcare, behavioral health type deal. It's not the best because things that we have gone through and we have seen are like things that a lot of people don't see. Like if you grow up in the hood, yeah, you might see that. Like recently, I just sent out the article. One of the guys I used to train, one of my former soldiers, person I worked with, he had the same job as me, 20 years old. He was just shot and killed. I have seen more death stateside than I did when I was deployed. And the, a lot of the death that happened when I was deployed was from suicide. Like, yeah, we got a rocket attack. You go to war. Okay. I knew that there's a possibility that I might not come back. And it's one of those things like I, I signed up for it. Kind of sucks. But at the same time, I got to be willing to kill and I got to be willing to die. This is what happens. But when you come home, and people die that that's like a different thing it's like we're supposed to be safe here i'm over there fighting mm -hmm. for freedoms and people are like hey do this do that you know we love our troops but 
I'm literally watching soldiers die. In the last year, Specialist Sherwood, he was hit uh, hit by a truck on his motorcycle. He was gone. The next month, we had Specialist Collard in my unit. This is all just my unit at Fort Campbell. Specialist Collard, murder-suicide. Her husband killed her, and then he attempted suicide. I don't think he was successful. I think he's in jail. And Jeez. then I move a couple days later. A dude I was deployed with, Staff Sergeant Carrasco, suicide. And it's just like it goes on and on. My unit is 500 plus people. And literally, I have seen probably 10, 15 since I've been here since 2019. And that's at Fort Campbell. We have this thing because we're 101st Airborne. If we make it 101 days of no soldier dying, we get a day off. Since I've been here, I think we've done that twice. Between people dying in suicide, dying in car wreck. I mean, heck, I think it was a couple months ago, we just had one guy kill his wife who was pregnant. Like, what's going on? And then he committed suicide. Like, yeah. mental health in the Army is just not the greatest. So I'm just going on off of that because, I mean, for me, in the when I'm in my element, yeah, I'm good. But when I get into general population... Things just don't go well. Like at Lit's birthday party. You weren't there before, but I think Leno was there. Shock, you might have been there. When that DJ dropped the mic when he was testing, like legit, I jumped down to the ground. I'm start sweating because that's like my mind just boom. I realized, hey, I'm probably not right there. But I go to therapy. Everybody, if you have mental things, if you got something going on, make sure you go to therapy. Make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure you take care of those around you because it's a big deal. Like, I know being a black guy in America, some people are like, oh, I'm too hard for that. Yeah, right. Because it can happen to everybody. I mean, I love me some me. And literally being in the military, I'm not going to be that guy like, I don't know why somebody can do that. Blah, blah, blah. I know why people can do it. I've seen it. I've literally had like four or five soldiers attempt suicide. I'm over there picking them up three, four days later from the mental health facility because they attempted. So if you need help, call somebody. So I'd say that to go into the veteran situation because I saw a stat. I posted it. I sent it in our group chat. Veteran suicide. We've lost more veterans to suicide than we have in the Iraq and Afghanistan war. And that's since like 2001, which is absolutely ridiculous. Jeez. So I know Lit and D over here to talk about mental health. I know you're not a psychologist, psychiatrist, excuse me, but you still had to do those rotations. You still understand. You work with the VA, so you understand it. You've seen it. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody in this podcast has known somebody who attempted suicide or committed suicide. And that's, I mean, that's sad. Tragedy. I want to say real quick, plug out, shout out 988 Suicide uh, Hotline. Uh, yeah. If anyone's needing that shit, that's the new yeah. number, 988. Right. So, you got stuff to tell us, right, about it? I mean, you've seen it firsthand. I mean, I've seen it from a yeah. perspective, but from a doctor perspective. I mean, first, first and foremost, let me say thank you for sharing that. You know what I'm saying? I I definitely recognize and always let you know that that stuff is not easy to deal with by any means. Um, 
but I'm glad that, you know, you're one speaking to us about it openly. I'm also glad that you're taking the time to, to you know, get help for what you need, you know, because at the end of the day, it's the same way if you had chest pain, you would go see a doctor. If you were coughing blood, you'd go see a doctor, right? You go see a doctor if, if you're not feeling well mentally, you know what I'm saying? Um, but in terms of the data that I was reading, um, I was actually looking at the National Veterans Suicide Prevention Annual Report as of 2021. And there were some things that stood out to me within this article. Um, as I read it, I did read it twice. But one of the first things that they mentioned, they were talking about suicide deaths by count uh, as well as by number, right? So we get bogged down, I feel like, a lot of times when it comes to data because everybody wants, you know, the simple version or the short version, the cliff notes version or something. We get bogged down by looking at percentages. But I'm going to read y'all something that I took from this, and this is quoted from this article. Um, to paraphrase, it says, the number count of suicides among U.S. adults increased, excuse me, from 29,580 in 2001 to 45,861 in 2019. Veterans accounted for 5,989 suicides in 2001, which represented 20.2% of suicides among U.S. adults in 2001, and 6,261 suicides in 2019, which by comparison, represented 13.7% of suicides among U.S. adults in 2019. Veterans aged 55 to 74 were the largest population slash subgroup, and they account for 38.6% of veterans. The reason, the reason why I wanted to highlight this, right, is that the percentage dropped from, what was it, 20.2% to 13.7% in terms of suicide. Okay, it's, it's getting better, but it's not getting better, right? Every life lost is a family scorn, is a family hurt, is a family broken apart. So all I see in this data is that more people decided to take their life 18 years later when there's supposed to be greater access to mental health than they did 18 years ago, according to this data. Um, another thing, they show the figure and you can just see the rise. And I mean, there's been a greater amount of suicide in our entire country, right? I don't know the solution. I don't know the answer, but what I do know is that there's always someone available. You know, I, I will never share any of my patient's personal information, but I have had a patient that uh, one day I was calling her about her lab work just to inform her of the tests that we had run. And out of the blue, she said, you know, doc, I just want to thank you because you saved my life last week. And I was like, well, you know, what do you mean? I just checked your cholesterol. And she said, I wanted to kill myself. Before I got there, she said, I was so close to driving off of a bridge. But because I knew I was coming in to see you, I still showed up. And that, to me, what that speaks to is not, you know, I am this harrow, you know, harrowing individual, this is a big personal figure. What that speaks to me is, why did you want to do that, number one? Also, why was I the one that you wanted to confide in? You didn't have family. You didn't have anyone else you could talk to. I'm always here. But I'm hurt that. She got that close. You know, she said she was on the road. She almost turned off. So I think to myself, had she not been coming in for that appointment with me, I'm not sure how that really would have went. So another part that I found interesting within this article, fellas, is that, you know, this is the 2021 report. Now, a lot of the data points stopped in 2019, but that was because the COVID pandemic reared its ugly head. So... I think that did contribute to suicides going higher. You know, people were 
locked in the house during quarantine and those type of things. And that does not help. But the the VA started adding some triggers that they would look for, like what they called early warning surveillance for suicide. And these are things such as site reports, emergency department data from, you know, visits, um, personal care data, high risk flagged activity on campus events, mortality trends, as well as non-fatal suicide attempts. So they utilize all that as their early warnings and apparently it hasn't really worked. It hasn't changed anything. As I told y'all, the numbers are still going up. So some of the key findings that they had is that they, the VA did not observe an increase in documentation of these factors. Number one, these indicators that they brought up, as they looked at it year by year, it wasn't like they were seeing it documented more, but they did see an increase in the suicide attempts. They also looked at age and sex adjusted all cause mortality, basically meaning they looked like they didn't single it out. They didn't put it in one big cohort. They looked at, all right, was it more amongst women? Was it more amongst men? Was it more amongst black women? Was it more amongst white men? Like, like what groups were having this the most? And my biggest takeaway from this is that, you know, to quote Kobe Bryant, job's not done. I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be. I'm not the one with the solutions, but what I do feel like is that you need to be able to to speak to somebody. You know, as uh, as y'all were mentioning, I feel like we've all been touched, not touched, but affected, I'm sorry, by suicide. And sure. when somebody takes their own life, I mean, that's it's devastating, man. I, I can't compare it. It's something that I don't ever want to have to live through again. I don't want to have to hear about. But, I mean, with me kind of breaking this article down for y'all, like, obviously, there's more. I mean, it was like, you know, 12 pages, but I'm not going to really bore y'all through it but just looking at the data like i said the numbers went up the percentages went down and we turned we turned bodies into percentages what y'all think all right i'm gonna jump in here so the crazy thing is from so you see the data but from my perspective uh, because i think you said in 2019 veterans accounted for 13 percent of total suicides in the united states of america you're talking 13% for a population that is less than 1%. That's crazy. And then you also go into it. I mean, it happens all the time, but how many weren't reported as suicides? Because, I mean, it happens all the time. Because you got to think about when we were growing up, the slogan that the military actually apologized for, it was around our time, Army of One. So you're talking about when you think of a soldier, you think of a Marine, you think of a sailor, you think, hey, these are the rough, maybe not a sailor, but you think of, you know, the roughest, the toughest, the strongest, <laughs> the baddest, like these dudes can handle everything. And I mean, yeah, like I, I go to therapy. I tell my therapist, like if when rockets are flying, bullets are flying, I'm there, I'm in it. But when like, you know, I'm not in home. And when I'm at home, like I would get a little more comfortable, probably too comfortable. And then that's when other things can happen. And it is, it'll literally throw you off. So, I mean, looking at these numbers, it's crazy because veterans, 13 percent for somebody that's less than one percent of the total population. And that's just one of those things that I feel like the military in general needs to step up and fix. Because, I mean, my situation personally I there was a time where I was like, all right, I think I need to get help. It was after my deployment and I had 
somebody's alarm went off. The iPhone alarm literally sounds like the same alarm when rockets are flying in. I sent you a video that lit when I was deployed. That's the same mm-hmm. alarm. Somebody's alarm went off, and I was in an office with like six, seven people, and everybody just stopped talking, stopped moving. So I was like, oh, so it's not just me. Well, maybe I should call and get help. And it took two and a half months for me to get an appointment just to see somebody. And then they referred me out. So that's what we're dealing with from my perspective. And then some people I know, I can't get an appointment. I don't care anymore. Whatever. So it's rough. Yeah. I mean, from a a change perspective, if you had like a top, I won't give, I don't, I won't make the list too long, like a top three. What are the, your biggest three things as far as change? that you would like to invoke or that you could see invoke uh, something that's on your mind or in the forefront of what you want to see done differently? Uh, From a military perspective? Yes. I think they need better access to health care, especially behavioral health, like the PTSD, the anxiety, the depressions, all those. They need better access. They need better sexual assault, sexual harassment response because what you don't see is some of these suicides, some of these uh, deaths are coming from like Vanessa Guillen at the Fort Hood situation that literally flipped the army around because she was assaulted and reported it multiple times and nothing happened. And then they found her body and then they started finding more bodies. So I feel like sexual assaults and sexual harassment response is a big thing because I have legit seen it where somebody harasses somebody and nothing happens and they just try to sweep it under the rug. But I'm the bad guy because I call it out because I got a little sister. Ain't nobody going to touch my little sister. You know, off rip. Shot got a little sister. Somebody touches your little sister, you're going to have a problem. Off rip. It's war. Yeah. So, and the army's just like, oh, no, you know. And they look at it like, well, he's higher ranking. I don't care what his rank is. Get him out of the military. Well, I'm going to put these hands on them. So, I mean, that's number two. And then I would just say, number three, they need to be more open. Because the military has that whole mindset, oh, we're rough and tough and everything. But at the same time, I was deployed with people who were, weren't even born when September 11 happened. And they don't understand Jeez. why we're at war. Yes. I feel old. <laughs> so they don't even understand why we're at war. And they're getting shot at. They don't know what's going on. And it's just like they feel like, oh, you know, I got to be tough. No, sometimes you got to talk to somebody. You need it. Yeah. Like like Lit said, if you got chest pain, you're going to go see a doctor. If you got mental pain, say, maybe you need to go see somebody. Go talk to somebody because there's still that stigma. Oh, you're just crazy. Whatever. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm getting off my soapbox now. No, passionate about it. No, you good, man. I, I want you to talk about that. You talk yeah, about stay on that soapbox, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Hey, what? Where did that analogy ever come from? The soapbox. So a box came from because they also had the soapbox races. Remember they little made the cars. If I'm thinking right. I, yeah, I thought it was like little but, rascals. I won't. No, but they, people used to stand on soapboxes and like they do in Times Square. And they would perform. Uh, I think uh, that's right. Yeah. Perform or make some type of announcement. 
Yeah, oh. basically when there's like no newspaper or whatnot, somebody will stand on the on that box and give that news. Okay, shock the historian. Hear ye, hear ye. Mm. I come bearing soap. I got take that random facts, boy. What what what? what. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Alright. So we're gonna switch gears a little bit, alright? Let's do it. What you got? For sure, for sure. Um this was another thing that uh, Brick had brought up to me, and I definitely wanted to make sure that I gave this one justice because I've actually had to deal with this situation, unfortunately, in trying to get through this. So there is um, there's an act, there's something called the PACT Act, P-A-C-T, and what it actually stands for is, uh, it was basically is based off of a bipartisan agreement for Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson in the military. Now, this PACT Act stands for the Promise to Address comprehensive toxics okay so just to kind of dialogue it out you know for the people uh do y'all really get what or understand what they mean by toxics i want to make sure i give you that definition i mean i do but i'm kind of more in tune to this than others what what did toxics mean to you Bert? uh anything uh toxin that is Toxins, like anything that is a toxin that affects your body in any type of way from, I mean, I know from the act that they just passed, like Agent Orange, like it even goes to like the water at Camp Lejeune that they're talking about right now. They're talking about burn pits. So all of that stuff. Mm hmm. You're right. Uh, so the the Sergeant First Class that was named after Heath Robinson uh, he actually was a decorated combat medic who died from a rare form of lung cancer that was then linked to some of his exposure during his military service. So as Brick alluded to, uh, chemicals from burn pits, lye, Agent Orange, even napalm, things that uh, soldiers were exposed to. Now, this act is meant to work through basically veteran affairs. And what it's supposed to what it's supposed to do is allow them to achieve and obtain uh, better health care from this. So one of the things that they mentioned is that it extends out the ability to place claims if you're starting to have these healthcare benefits, or, um, sorry, these, these healthcare issues, these health issues from this. So initially the time period was five years to make your claim and they've extended out to 10 years, but also they then added some automatic uh, claims. So if you have like, there's a list, of, I think it was like 27 specific diseases, predominantly lung pathologies and ailments. If you have them, you automatically are supposed to receive these benefits. And these benefits would include further compensation as well as increased access to the health care and management of these diseases. Because at the end of the day, and Britt can explain this better, but when you have any illness that was related to your time during service, it's up to you to prove that. Am I wrong on that or how would you describe it, Britt? Yes, it's up for you to prove it because they have to go through a long list of things to say what cause that did we cause it did you have this and before you came into the military situation so that's a big thing yeah exactly they call it the military environmental exposure so a lot of these toxins i mean these things are very damaging you know these are not things that you want to be exposed to and luckily because you know we have the individuals that do fight for our freedoms we don't have to deal with those things being dropped in our country at least you know at at the current rate. So this was something that was brought in by the Biden and Harris administration as a part of their promise to, you know, to make sure that they're taking care of their veterans. So they call it the uh, the record of action on military toxic exposure. So 
And for real, the reason why I'm so triggered off of this, y'all, is because I had a personal instance where it happened. You know, I had a patient. He came in nauseated, vomiting. It had been going on for pretty much for years, but he was dealing with it because, you know, a lot of military individuals are tough guys. Um, He was having these odd skin lesions popping up. And then he was having these respiratory issues. He was constantly short of breath, hypoxic. You know, I was trying to figure it all out. But then when you put the symptoms all together, I looked it up and I realized that it was pretty synonymous with Agent Orange Syndrome. Now, the only way to prove that it was Agent Orange Syndrome is one, you need the history of the exposure. And he was a Vietnam veteran. Shout out to all the veterans. We respect y'all for your service. But also another issue that we were dealing with was, you know, when I looked at these symptoms, the only way we could confirm it is with something called a fat pad biopsy. Now, this can be done at the bedside. It doesn't have to be done in the OR, but I had to call the surgeon. Surgeon was cool with it. He was just like, good luck, you know, getting it approved because he, he had apparently dealt with it. Getting the biopsy physically, like doing the surgical work, that wasn't the issue. It was getting it approved by his insurance. When I tell y'all, they fought me tooth and nail about this. So I did some more digging. And then I realized that it was based off of a lot of claims of Agent Orange syndrome. While, you know, our government was basically trying to say that not necessarily that it wasn't a real thing, but that it was a rare occurrence when, you know, think about how many, you know, men and women fought in Vietnam, y'all. So many people. And all I wanted to do was help the dude. But it was the fact that I had to go in there and tell him, look, your insurance is not going to cover this. He was like, what you mean? I got great insurance. I was like, they won't cover it. You know, we still did the biopsy, but he had to pay out of pocket for an illness that came from a toxic exposure while he was fighting for his country. So to me, that's terrible. I, You know what I'm saying? If I'm going to put my life on the line for y'all, then y'all should take care of me. Like Brick has said it before. You know, if you're going to go overseas to fight for your country, your country should fight for you when you go back. And I look at that like the same way I truly personally feel deep down in my heart that there should not be a single child in this country that goes hungry before we send resources overseas to help people. I believe that our veterans shouldn't be homeless. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if it's subsidized housing, we got Section 8. Why should they not be able to afford that? There's so much that goes on with war. I've, I've never been to war. Personally, I have family members that have, you know, and I've heard war stories. But it's it's just frustrating for me, dog, is that like, you know what I'm saying? You putting your life on the line, literally. And they want to take care of you. So I feel like the PACT Act is something that should have been done years ago. I'm not saying it's too late, but I'm like, it's about damn time. That's how I feel about it. But there's my spiel on it. What y'all think? So I'm going to jump in. Go for it. Go off. It is one of those things that it is took far too long because Sergeant First Class Robinson died before this was passed. He had stuff. He was exposed to burn pits. He was a 68 whiskey, which is a combat medic. So he does all that stuff. And he was exposed to burn pits. When he was in Iraq, I believe he was in Afghanistan as well. I'm not 100% sure, but I know he's a decorated combat veteran. And just from my experience, I was exposed to burn pits. I jumped on the registry, but everybody told me it doesn't matter because nobody cares. And literally, this is the point where it's going to matter. Because, like, what was it, 50, 60 years ago, people were smoking indoors. I mean, in the 90s, people were smoking inside, and they didn't know the long-term effects. I was literally, as we were burning down bases, like destroying bases to get to leave, we got to burn the top secret information, classified information, because it's either shredded or you have to burn it. 
burning's the fastest way. You give some 18, 19 year old kids some gasoline, some diesel fluid, and a couple lighters, and just start tossing them papers. They'll get a couple of drums, but nobody knows what's going to happen to that in the long term. And that's mm -hmm. why I want the Pact Act. I'm glad that it finally passed. But, I mean, I was just burning paper, CDs, plastics, all kinds of stuff. I mean, we threw a couple bullets in there or whatever. But it's one of those things. Oh. Like, go, you go back to, like, Agent Orange. And they weren't even covering these people. But the military has a contract that when you come in there, when you leave the military, you are going to be either better than you were or they're going to compensate you for that. The Veteran Affairs has their own budget. That I believe I looked it up. It's like two hundred and thirty-four billion dollars to cover. So soldiers, that's a lot of bread. Marines, they look at it as like I don't want to take from somebody else. No, this is your right. This is your money. They just released the VA disability for twenty twenty-three coming up. What the percentage is looking like? If you are hundred percent disabled, you're looking at I think three thousand and five hundred dollars. So thirty-five hundred dollars for the rest of your life per, for the month. One for per month for the rest of your life. But some soldiers are so stubborn that, oh, I don't want to take that. I don't want to do that. But you also got to think about it. There's a GI Bill. It's going to cover you for 36 months up to $180,000. People don't think about that. And the education that we have, because it goes on, the education that soldiers get, the military members get, is far and few between. Because some people just like, hey, thank you. And then they kick you out or you leave. But Lit was just saying... There shouldn't be veterans that are homeless. Yeah, there shouldn't be because there's literally programs that if a veteran reached out right now, they will find him a place to stay, him or her a place to stay. I literally planned it out. I did all my stuff. If something happened to me right now and I passed away, my funeral is covered because the VA covers that. And these are things that because I know Leno said what is one of the things I would change. I need to change. We should change the education of soldiers and service members transitioning out of the military because there's so many things that people don't understand just like when it comes to disability like i could claim a disability like hey my knees hurt and they were like well we don't know we don't see any major knee issues yes i jump out of helicopters all the time well, i used to jump out of helicopters all of the time and some of these injuries might not show up for 10 15 years but there used to be a statute of limitations where they were like no it doesn't have it so right now, my disability claim for my knee injury is zero percent. But if it comes up in 20 years, they're like, hey, you got a torn meniscus. Yeah, probably from jumping out of these planes. So now they can bump that up. It's just one of those things that the that's VA crazy to have a statute of limitations on the injury. Yeah, but they changed yeah. that. And that's one of those things that they were changing because they're like, oh, OK, but the PACT Act never covered toxins. But. In the early 2000s, when they were invading Iraq, invading Afghanistan, they burned everything. They're living in tents. They had to burn poop, like because you can't just leave it out there. So they just burn it. People have been doing that for years. I know. So say, come on. <laughs> but it's one of those things that. Yeah. How, how many times have you been around burning shit? Man, I don't keep count. Like, <laughs> exactly, but I, ha I have been to shocks. I have been to shocks uh, plot of land, though. So. Yeah, but I'm just saying there's literally people, there are people who are like, hey, you're low man on a totem pole. You just graduated high school. Your job is to stir the poop as somebody burns it. You'll do that, and then in two hours you swap out with somebody. Nobody knows what that what that can lead to. So, so I like to pack that. Probably a bad day. 
And also, the Pact Act is coming after, I don't know if you know this, but this comes after John Stewart's big proponent for this. He was fighting for the 9-11 first responders, like all the police officers and firefighters that were there that got exposed to all like the toxins and everything from when the towers blew up. Asbestosis was heavy. Yeah, but the government was like, oh, no, we don't want to do that. It takes 20 years for them to step in and say, oh, yeah, maybe we should compensate them. Maybe they were exposed to something. It literally changed the whole world. And then the people that say they love America, they love the veterans, they love first responders. Why does it take you 20 years to do something to show us your love? And I'm not talking about the left. I'm not talking about the right. I'm talking about everybody that's in politics that get up there and they're so worried about everything else. And they don't want to help the people that they claim that they love. They claim that they stand by. But we're out here. Hua, hua, rah, rah, no. Show us. Sorry. That's just ranting because I'm a little frustrated about that. I mean, I've been frustrated. <laughs> and also, hey. don't say. No, I appreciate you know, the rant. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. You, yeah, you don't say some broke down up. veterans because we are, we are strong people. We are resilient. Yeah, we have some issues, and that's probably one of the biggest things that goes in with our issues because we're so stubborn. Like, we do this. Like, if you told me, hey, you might have cancer, I'm probably going to take a couple weeks because, nah, I ain't got I just got to work out hard. I'm just getting fat. I'm getting out of shape. And that ain't not, that ain't just veterans. I'm, I'm, I, I promise you, that ain't just I veterans. Know, but, but we are one of those that, like, no, we can just go harder. And that's the issue. So, yeah. I'm step down. My bad. <laughs> it's all good. No, no. What you got for him? So I got really my two two questions that immediately come to mind is I know since you've extended time from five to ten years, you know anything as far as being able to apply or be eligible for any of these benefits retroactively if you've fallen from that five to ten year window? Oh, they changed it now. You can apply anytime. If you said that it happened and you can prove that it happened while you're on military service. That's the biggest issue because a lot of people don't claim it while they're in. It's like when you play football. If you tweak your ankle, you ain't going to be like, no, no, no. I ain't going to tell nobody. But military, if you tell them right then and there, and then you're like, yo, my ankle's been messed up. I walk with a limp. And you can prove it in your medical record. You're going to get it no matter what. So they got rid of that statute of limitation. Okay. That was... And to to piggyback off that, that was a part of the article where they were mentioned. The reason why they added those like 27 or 28 pathologies that I was mentioning is because they wanted to remove the difficulty of trying to get that approved. Um, That was one of the biggest issues, what Brick was talking about, because there is a statute of limitations. You know what I'm saying? If even though they extended it to 10 years, if you say, you know, it's 2022 now, hey, back in 2013, you know, I think that's the reason why I'm still having this shortness of breath. First thing they're going to say is prove it. And you say, well, look at my time spent, look at the location that I was in and look at what was occurring. They're like, okay, how do we know you were around it? So then they have to go through the records and comb through it and draw out the process. And unfortunately, there have been veterans that have died while the process was drawn out. And call it what you want. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I feel like they're going to look at that as a win. Because before they had to pay out that claim, that individual expired. I think that's ridiculous to be straight up with y'all. But was there another question that you had for him? Not really. Um, I was thinking if you applied in five years, could you reapply after? Now that it's, again that it's been expended, could you reapply? Do you, are you eligible to reapply? Or I would, that may not have had anything to do with this particular act. But I would think it, that you would receive an influx of 
you know, people that would want to reach out to try to see, like you said, maybe for whatever reason, they didn't care. You didn't have the adequate, you know, facilities or whatever it may be that, you know, at one point in time, at one certain time where you went to apply for these things and you still, you know, you felt like you need, you felt like you had knee issues and you still feel like you have knee issues. Are you able to reapply even though after, you know, at a certain point you weren't able to get those benefits? You can keep going as much as you want, but the biggest thing, and this destroys a lot of people, so they tell you to do it early and try to get as much, claim as much stuff as you can, because it that process can take anywhere between 180 days to I've seen as long as like four to five years. And if you're out of the military, that litigation process is something that you're going to pay somebody a couple thousand dollars to do. But like I said, you're looking at, you're going to make $50,000 almost $50,000 of tax-free money for the rest of your life if you can win that claim. So I tell my veterans, I tell my people transitioning out of the military, you have, once you hit that 180-day mark from before you get out, start that process so all your paperwork's good. So if you get that 100% disability, if you get that 70% disability, that month after you clear, so if you clear and you're done in January, you're going to go all of February, but March 1st, you're going to get that VA disability check, and it's going to start then and there. So I tell my people, hey, be smart about it. Do it because that's free money. The military owes you that. The government owes you this. And when it comes to this toxins, yeah, you're exposed, and they're going to pay you. They're going to make sure you get that health care because that's going to be that free health care for the rest of your life. And like Lit was saying, that biopsy that you need, hey, what kind of stuff was I exposed to? What can happen? They're actually now making like, okay, yeah, we can take care of that. We can look into it. Not just, oh, there's too much red tape. I think you need to go talk to your PCM and then you need to go talk to them. Then you got to get a referral and all that. No, it's now it's going to be to that point. All right, sign off. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So that reminded me something when you mentioned that biopsy. The part that I forgot to tell you, I had to fill out 27 pages of paperwork to then get it submitted for approval. And they denied it and requested more. 27 pages all i'm trying to do is help this man and you know what i'm saying think about the burden that that puts on the physician not to say that the physician has a problem but because to help somebody out now i have to take away from the other people that i'm helping out to do 27 pages that's for me i felt like that was all a part of the process of them not wanting it to be covered you know what i'm saying so appreciate it brick definitely appreciate the comments you know appreciate all y'all Jock agrees Hey, Shaq, how long you been growing out your beard? You are muted, sir. Since I was born, dog. Since I was born. <laughs> he came out the womb with a chest strap. What do you mean? <laughs> Here all all that. This nigga was born with chest hair. <laughs> he had taco meat as a baby. Come on, man. I bought an Uncle Nears in my hand. Shout out Uncle Nears. They do get free advertising. Shout out Uncle Nears. Well, all right, fellas. I think we've had a very good episode of Do-Rags and Stethoscopes. As always, before we get out of here, we got to make sure we speak some wisdom onto the people. Um, You know, I, I feel like I'm putting y'all on the spot with this at times, but I want to make sure that we get that out there. Um, Today, what I want to say and what I want to make sure is known is that you should always empower yourself through education. You know what I'm saying? Me personally, I hated reading growing up. You could ask my mom, you could ask my siblings. 
but I, it's a force of habit to empower yourself through education. And nowadays, it doesn't even have to be through reading. Internet research, videos, even some podcasts. But you always got to check those facts because there are so many facets of life and things that we could be involved in as individuals where we never thought we'd be capable of or able to contribute to. And we are able to. So make sure you continue to educate yourself, folks. All right. Brick, you got any words of wisdom for the people? Um, just, I mean, this was in-depth podcast for me today with the whole veteran suicide and the PACT Act and everything. But if you are a service member, if you're a veteran, make sure you understand your knowledge and stay strong. There's free health care for veterans. There's all kinds of benefits. So like Lit was saying, make sure you understand, do that education, look it up, reach out to somebody. Um, also, like Shock said, 988. I mean, it's a strong, it's a, it's a rough time for some people after COVID, especially reach out to somebody. I mean, it's easier to talk to somebody than to be at your funeral. So if you need help, reach out. Mm-hmm. Shock, what you got for us? Uh, I'm going to go with real G's moving silence like lasagna. That's the Lil Wayne quote. I ain't mad at it. I'm going to say, man, that's, that's been the motto for the week. All right. There we go. Leno, you got any words of wisdom for the people? I got something for you, big dog. You know, something that's been on my mind. The word of the day and the word of the week for me is accountability, man. Accountability for yourself, holding yourself accountable. And a big, big shout out to your friends that hold you accountable, man. I'll give you a quick story. I had a friend of mine. The front of my house looked like garbage. Had bushes overgrowing, had vines growing all over my fence, man. And now it's if you know now it's not too not a, now it's not a bad time to get your house in order literally and figuratively man so i took my time and got my house in order cleaned up the front of my house and now the front of my house is presentable you know what i mean it's not as it's not as embarrassing walking through the front yard and seeing bushes and shit growing all over the place so shout out to your friends that hold you accountable man and tell you you need to get your house in order to tell you when you're not on your p's and q's man because those friends are valuable all right. Appreciate y'all. As always, we are do rags and stethoscopes, people. We are out until next time. Peace.